Well, good morning and welcome to our discussion on the purpose and uses of money. Uh, this is financial management part two, uh, key principles of financial management. And we're talking today about the five uses of money. Last time, last month, I did the first two of these five. I did tithing and giving. And today we're going to talk about the last three, which is savings, investing, um, taxes and living expenses. So uh, may the Lord give us grace and favor as we talk about these very challenging topics. When we talk about saving and investing, we're talking about a principle that God gives us in scripture. Proverbs 21, 20 says in the house of the wise, there are stores of choice food and oil. So the beauty of how God works is that he expects us to step up and be responsible to step up and to be wise stewards to step up and to accumulate resources and the purpose for accumulating resources is there's one purpose and that purpose is to serve the purpose of god that is to serve his will his will done his ways for his glory that's always what we need to be about when we're thinking about the whole aspect of saving and investing the purpose of saving and investing is not to fulfill the American dream. That's what we want to think as, as typical people of the culture. That's largely what's sold out there uh, in the investment world. Uh, the idea of saving and investing is a sound principle, but the motive needs to be right. The motive for money is always as a tool to do the will of God. It's never a tool to do our will. Now, that's very hard for us to hear because we're we're inherently self-centered, selfish, and self-focused people. We want to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. And we think money is the way to make that happen. And so it's very easy for us to get uh, deceived and to get uh, get distracted from what God really wants to do. We have to learn that God gives us time, talent, and treasure, which is money or resources, to serve him, to serve his purpose, to do his will according to his ways. So when we get that, we, we understand that investing is part of being a good steward, part of being a wise steward. So this is why I put this in front of personal expenses. I find many people sacrifice saving and investing to increase their standard of living, to live at the level they want to live at. And that's the exact opposite of what scripture tells us to do. Scripture tells us to be wise. And if you are wise, then you will store up. You will be build a resource base. To do that, that means you have to give it priority above your personal expenses. So you have to be willing to sacrifice your standard of living to be able to obey scripture here. All right, so as we think about saving and investing, fundamentally, there are two things that we want to keep in mind. One, saving and investing is a tool of risk management. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 6 says this, Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening do not let your hands be idle, for you don't know what will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. You see, God has set it up so that we only know what we need to know. And many times, if not most of the time, 
we're not going to see what kind of ventures that we get involved with are going to work. Even if we think we've heard the Lord and we've discerned his will, there's no guarantee that they will work. One of the principles that we've learned through our business leadership training is that faith is fundamentally associated with risk. In other words, you believe that you've come to a conviction and now you're going to act on that, but you're not totally sure that it's truly of the Lord. Faith inherently includes risk. We've got to be willing to take a risk. So this is what Ecclesiastes warns us about, is you need to know there's always risk in whatever you do. So savings and investing is a tool of risk management. Insurance is not the primary tool of risk management. Many people think, well, I have insurance to cover risk. Well, insurance is there as a backup. First and foremost, you should have reserves to help hedge your risk. The second purpose of saving and investing is as a tool of generational transfer. You'll notice that I did not say saving and investing is a tool to do your will according to your ways. That would be the American dream. That is not the purpose. Scripture does not give us, give us support for that kind of thinking. Rather, we're told to save up for the next generation. So here's an example of what Scripture says. Proverbs 13, verse 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. I just want to focus on the first half of the verse. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Now, it's easy to think, well, we just automatically leave, you know, want to leave our money to our heirs. Well, I think that would be neglecting other teaching in Scripture. And one of the things we do to understand Scripture is we seek to harmonize Scripture. That is, if we have other relevant Scripture that bears on a particular principle, then we want to harmonize those, those texts and come to an understanding of how it all fits together. So a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That is true as long as the children are seeking to align with God. I want to leave an inheritance that supports the will of God in others. If I don't do that, I'm misunderstanding what God has given us that money for. So I want to be very clear. I'm all about alignment with God, alignment with his will and his ways. Even in my inheritance, I want to do things that support his purpose. I pray that my heirs, natural and spiritual heirs, are following in the will of God. And then whatever I pass on to them, they will use then to align with the will and ways of God and to likewise pass that on to others. So saving and investing should be a tool of alignment with God with our heirs natural heirs and our spiritual heirs. So I want to give you some uh, some ways to think about investing, some ways to, to, to guide you as you do this. So if you, if you recognize that God is in control of the universe, the key to investing is to discover whom and what God is going to bless. That's a key. So you've got to be asking, what is it that God will bless? First of all, those who worship money, that is, are characterized by greed and 
are those who worship God. Which one of those get blessed? Now, as you're going to see later on in this training, that there are situations where God will look like he's blessing the greedy. He will look like he's blessing the wicked people, the unrighteous people, the people in rebellion against him. But we know as we get into that teaching from Psalm 73, Psalm 37, and other texts, that in those situations, that, that apparent blessing is really a setup for judgment. So in general, the maxim is that God does not bless those who are greedy. He generally does not bless the right, the unrighteous, the wicked, the rebellious. That does not generally conjure up his blessing. And we see that from texts like Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is very binary here. Alignment with God leads to prosperity and blessing. That is God's definition of prosperity, not the world's definition. God's definition of prosperity is, is doing his will according to his ways. That's prospering. And our definition, the world's definition, is that you know we have the money to do what we want to do, and hopefully you can hear immediately that's a very different definition. So God blesses what he chooses to bless, and that is alignment with him. God judges those who don't align with him. So that's the maxim of how God works. So long-term, God blesses alignment with himself. Proverbs 21, 21, he who pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. And remember, anytime you read the word prosperity in our culture today, you got to be quick to be clear on the definition. It's never money and resources for you to do your will. It's always the resources for you to do God's will. That's a big distinction. And then we read Proverbs 13, 22, a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Now, sometimes people misconstrue that. Uh, God is very creative in how he, how he fulfills this promise here, that he will some way, somehow turn the wealth of the wicked, which he uses to judge them. He will in turn store that up for the righteous in very creative ways. Uh, don't try to build um, a business plan around this or build your life around this. Let the Lord do it as he chooses to in his timing. So that's challenging for us because we like to want to claim the wealth of the, of the wicked, and that's, uh, that generally is out of order. We've got a motive that we need to repent of, so don't try to make that happen. Just let the Holy Spirit do as he pleases and when he chooses to do it. So in the meantime, how do we, how do we get lined up with what God blesses? So I'm going to give you about six texts here to help you think about you know, alignment with God in how you invest. The first one here is invest in people who praise the Lord. This is out of Psalm 67, verses five through six. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest and God, our God, will bless us. We want to find people that are praising the Lord, not just praising any so-called God, which any so-called God is a false God. There's only one true God, the God of Christianity. There is no other true God. So that's the, what he's talking about. We want to praise the God of Scripture, the God who's revealed himself in Scripture. When we do that, that opens, opens the door for blessing. And part of that blessing can be 
of financial blessing. Secondly, invest in people who pray and seek God's favor. This is Zechariah chapter 10, verses 1. Ask the Lord for rain in the springtime. It is the Lord who makes the storm clouds. He gives showers of rain to men and plants of the field to everyone. So this was spoken at a time when the main industry was agriculture. Today, agriculture is a fairly small percentage of industry worldwide. Uh, in fact, probably fewer than 10% of the people in the world are involved in agriculture in some form. So the vast majority of the people who work are, in, are involved in other industries. So the idea of praying for rain is praying for God's blessing, uh, the, the favorable circumstances for whatever we're doing to do well and to be profitable. So it's the Lord who makes the storm clouds. Some of you have experienced storm clouds where your businesses have, have dried up or gotten very difficult. Uh, and the Lord gives, gives showers of rain to men and plants of the field to everyone. We have to know that God opens doors and he shines his light of favor on various things at various times. So we always want to be looking to what the Lord, where his favor is, where he's raining on the crops so the crops can grow. So that imagery should help us think about, you know, where is it that God is working in the workplace that, and where has he called us to work in the workplace with him? Thirdly, invest in people who put the Lord's agenda ahead of theirs. So out of Haggai chapter one, verses eight through 10, scripture says, go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house. That is the house of the Lord so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. Of course, in the old covenant, they had a physical house of the Lord. We know in the new covenant, which is the period we're living in, there's not a physical house of the Lord, rather it's the people of God who are the house of the Lord. So he's still building and asking us to participate and building his house, but now the focus is not on a physical building, but on a spiritual building. So go up into the mountains and bring down the timber and build the house of the Lord so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expect much, but see, it turned out to be little. What brought you or brought you home, I blew away. That is what you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin. In other words, when we focus on what we want to do, our will and our ways, instead of what he wants to do, his will and his ways, then he's going to blow our work away. Our efforts will be nothing. While each of you is busy in his own house, we actually are just busy and it's all going to go, it's all going to be destroyed. It's all going to be blown away. It's not going to be profitable. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth is cropped. You see, when the Lord withholds his hand of blessing, his whole hand of favor, his guiding hand, his hand of protection, when he withholds that, then all of our work amounts to nothing. We must learn how to work congruent with God. His will done his ways for his glory. And that is indeed a huge challenge. So let's go on here now with three more uses of money on this next slide. Invest in people who humbly keep their options open. 
who humbly keep their options open. Now, this is a text we read a few minutes ago out of Ecclesiastes, so I'll just read it quickly again. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Now, I don't, don't read this as a, as a mandate to be uh, moonlighting. Don't read this as a mandate to be a workaholic. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that as you walk out your faith, your convictions about what God's called you to do, don't just presume that you got it right. It's wisdom to have options, to have a back door, to have a plan B. It's always wisdom to have that. In case what you believe God has led you to, you missed it. You know, what would be an alternative? So this obviously is a point of prayer, and you want to be seeking the Lord for wisdom and discernment. The next next key here is invest in people who repent in the midst of calamity. Out of Haggai chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. I think you should be noticing all of these texts are from the Old Testament. The Old Covenant, which was the scripture for Jesus, the scripture for the apostles, which was the scripture in play when Christianity was founded. The New Testament as we have it today did not exist until 300 years after Christ was was here on earth. So the Old Testament scripture was the scripture for the people that formulated, were used of God to form Christianity. So it's not surprising that we find a lot of revelation about these matters of finances in the Old Testament. We have to do some extrapolating to bring the principles into our current times, but the principles are fundamentally in the Old Testament scripture. In fact, most of what we know about money, I would say, comes from the Old Testament. There's certainly a lot in the New as well, but what's in the New largely is reflecting back on principles that are in the Old Testament scripture. So Haggai 2, 16 through 70 talks about people who repent in the midst of calamity. So listen to these words. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. When the well dries up, when the work of your hands is not producing the fruit that you expect and maybe had traditionally experienced, you need to be asking the Lord, what is it that I need to repent of? Is there something I need to turn and change? Repentance is about changing your thinking. Repenting is about changing the way you see reality and aligning to the way God has defined reality. So we need to be very quick to be asking the question, what do I need to repent of? That is, by the way, a sign of humility, which is a great indicator of people that God's going to bless if they're humble. Finally, here's another final tip for investing. Invest in people who serve the Lord in the midst of prosperity. Can you handle prosperity or does it go to your head? Deuteronomy 28, verse 47 through 48 says this. Because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity. Therefore, in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and dire poverty, you will serve the enemies the Lord had sends against you. 
He will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. God is more interested in our heart of obedience than giving us material wealth. He wants spiritual wealth in us first, and then he will give us the physical wealth we need to do his will according to his ways. So these are principles that should guide you as you look to invest. Invest in those people that are showing humility, submission, and teachability before God. These are the people that God will bless. All right, well, let's go into the fourth use of money, which is taxes. This is not a pleasant one. It's not a fun one. It's one that most would like to bypass and not even consider, but it is a biblical principle. And so we must look at this. So we'll just take a look at one text, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. And I'm going to just read the text and make some comments about this to point out, you know, the importance of how you view the governing authorities all governing authorities, even dysfunctioning governing authorities, and then why you pay taxes to them. In fact, I'm going to say we should start paying our taxes with gratitude. That's a stretch for most of us. Most of us begrudge paying taxes, and there's nothing wrong with paying only what you owe. That's perfectly legitimate, but you should pay it with an understanding of why you truly owe it to them. So reading in Romans 13, starting with verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who, ha has, who is in authority? Then do what is right. In other words, if you don't want to fear those in authority, just do what is good, and you will be receive his approval, for he is a servant. Let me stop there and just point out that word in the Greek language is diakonos. Diakonos is translated in English sometimes minister or sometimes servant. They're both, they're interchangeable terms in scripture. Now, diakonos literally means to execute the commands of another. Now, we have distorted that in the way we use minister and ministry. We limit those generally uh, to what we call church work. That is not a limitation from scripture. Scripture knows no such limitation. Scripture views civil servants, police officers, judges, elected officials, even bureaucrats as his ministers, his diakonos. Their job should be to execute the commands of Christ for your good. And remember the term good is a divine attribute. Uh, today we use the word good as a slang term. We talk about, you know, the weather. We say, we like the weather, it's good. Or we like the food we ate, we say it's good. Or we like the entertainment we say we, we saw last night, we say it's good. So we use that kind of sloppily. But scripturally, the word good doesn't mean I like it. 
the word good means it aligns with God. So as a servant of God, government officials are there to execute the commands of God and bring alignment with God. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. You should be fearful if you do wrong because the government official doing what they're supposed to be doing, and by the way, their sin, their failure, this is not a license for us to fail. Our job is to support them and be obedient to them to the limit that they ask you to violate scripture. That's the only valid place where you draw the line. Acts chapter 5 gives us that boundary. So we should not be looking at them and criticizing them for all of their failures. And believe me, government officials make a lot of mistakes and have a lot of failures, but their failure is not a license for you to not respect them. You respect them and submit to them. They will give an account to God. God will hold them responsible for their actions. We submit. So if we do wrong, you should be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, the diakonos of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath. In other words, God will execute judgment through them when we do wrong. When we do what is inconsistent with the will and ways of God, they will do that. Now, I know you're thinking, well, I know many government officials that have no clue about the will of God. I understand that. Nevertheless, this is the way God works. He will deal with every government official. They will give an account for every time they have done wrong. So you don't have to worry about that. Your main focus is you need to submit to the will and ways of God that are exercised through the authority that God has given that governing official. Therefore, one must be in subjection. That is, we must be in subjection. That word hupotasso is a compound word. Tasso means to place and hupo means under. So you put that together and you have hupotasso in the Greek. And the idea is God has placed us under these civil authorities for a purpose. When that policeman pulls you over and wants to, you know, write you a citation for breaking the law, you need to humble yourself and know he is there as God's agent to bring you into alignment with the will and ways of God, whether he does it well or not. That's his responsibility. It's your responsibility to hupotasso, to know you are under his authority and live under God's authority, God's delegated authority. Goes on to say, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you must also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers. Now he changes the word here. It's not really the word diakonos. It's another Greek word. But the idea is still very much the same. They represent God. And our job is to support them because we have a principle in Scripture that the laborer is worthy of his hire. So when you understand that principle, you know that the people, the governing officials, they are in their positions doing what they do. They are laboring to serve the purpose of God at varying levels of obedience. And our job as those who have been assigned to be under them is to submit, to obey, 
and allow God to deal with them, and he's going to use them to deal with us. So we are to pay the taxes for their authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed and revenue are tolls to whom tolls are owed. owed. Respect those, respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. So this is a very clear text about the importance of civil government, the role of civil government, and how civil government is going to be funded. It's funded through taxation, and we must be submitted to that. So the last use of money is personal expenses. Personal expenses are the things that you need to live on, and God knows that you need need this. But this, in the order of priority, is the last use of money. You should be sure you've done the other four correctly before God, and then you you have what's left determines your standard of living. Sadly, you don't get to set your standard of living. Everybody likes to think they do, but sadly, that is not a reality. God sets your standard of living. So it's important that we are responsible to, to, to step up and do what we need to do to support our families. In fact, we're told it's a mandate. If we don't do this, we should not be eating. In fact, if we don't step up and take care of our family, then we are worse than an unbeliever. We're worse than an infidel. So this is very important that we step up and do our responsibilities to earn our living steward our resources according to the five uses of money. And the last one is paying our personal expenses. Whatever's left is what we get to live on. So that's very different. Most of us flip this around and we, we put our personal expenses first and the other four usually don't get fully cared for. Sometimes there's nothing else. Everything goes to personal expenses and you need to know that will not go well. That will not bless you. So let me offer you just a really quick model to how to think about the five uses of money and how to allocate them. Now, the percentages I'm giving you here are just examples. Don't view these as the percentages. The one percentage that I'm really clear on is the tithe. That's 10%. We know that. That's the first use of money. The other percentages can vary. So here's kind of how I allocate my money in an attempt to be a good steward of the resources God gives me. The tithe gets is 10%. Giving is roughly 10%. This is where I'm giving to serve the purpose of God in another, expecting no tangible return on investment to me. I'm looking for an intangible return on investment in that person, by that person turning to the Lord and walking with God and growing and being transformed. Saving and investing, I target around 10%. Taxes for me are roughly 25% when I look at all of the taxes I pay. And that leaves me now about 45% for my personal expenses. That sets my standard of living. Some people call that, you know, my 45%, that becomes my closed circle. That's another way to think about it. So this is just a model. Uh, something to think about. I encourage you before the Lord to ask the Lord to show you what these percentages should be for you. They, the, like I said, the, the tithe I think is pretty set. Everything else, there's some flexibility there. 
So and depending on your taxes, you know, what your tax rate is where you live, the taxes can go up or down, and that obviously can change the other percentages. So you don't have much control over the taxes. You have you have don't have don't have control over the, the tithe, but the giving, the investing, and the personal expenses are the variables you have to work with. So may the Lord give you grace to learn how to discern his will. May the Lord give you grace to set aside greed, and may the Lord give you grace to put aside the false thinking of the American dream, where we think that money is for us to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, and may we embrace the truth that God is Lord of all, including every dollar he gives us to steward, and may we steward it well for his glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.